Okay, well, today we're going to be uh, continuing, if you're a guest with us, we're continuing on a topical series. We preach sometimes through books of the Bible, then sometimes we do topical series. Um, and so we're in a topical series right now on emotions. And so today we're going to look at mo- emotions in the life of Jesus. And so that's where we're going to start today. Um, let me tell you this. If you're a guest and you, you need a great, you need a context for this whole message. So I would encourage you, go back and listen uh, to the previous messages but also, um, just thinking about this, if you're newer to our church, let's say you're, you've come into our church in the last couple months, the last couple years, um, I do want you to understand, in the life of our church, we preach messages, and it's really to, it's to build up the body of Christ to equip you for ministry, and if you're really wanting to understand our church, not only do you want to go through discovery when we have our discovery classes and then you know come into membership, but also I would encourage you. Start going back and listening to messages that you've never heard from our pulpit so that you can have a greater context. Everything builds on itself, right? And so I want to encourage you, if you're newer to our church, um, maybe this might be the day and time to pause some of the podcasts in your life, you know, especially if they're creating greater angst in your life. And, man, we start going through some of our message series. Um, for instance, we've got message series on depression, on anxiety, on forgiveness, on family, on on actually marriage and family and children. Um, we've got tons of book studies from Hebrews to 1 Corinthians, all the minor prophets. We've got several, several things all throughout. I mean, go to our website. You can look through and just see an assortment. But what happens is that helps you build out a context and helps you learn some things, especially some things I may say that, that for instance, uh, this past week, I went and re-listened to a series we did do we really have free will? Do we really have free will? If you've ever wondered that question, we had a message series, a topical series on that. So uh, I want to encourage you with that. Okay, so today we're going to talk about emotions. We're going to talk about emotions in the life of Jesus. I want to refer you, um, I've now finished that 15-point outline that I gave you a couple, uh, over the weeks of Dr. Babbler's outline. Um, I want to talk through it real quick, just mention those points. And then we're going to kind of still hone in on the, the last point somewhat. Uh, this will also help as a little bit of review for those of you that are new to us. God has emotions. So we've been doing this series on emotions. couple things, couple truths from the totality of Scripture. God has and expresses emotions. God's emotions are righteous, holy, just, loving, and always appropriate. We are created in God's image. We have emotions. Our emotions are the result of the attitudes of the heart. Our emotions originate in our thoughts, and we are fully responsible for them. Our emotions are sin-impacted and sin-impaired. Please, I hope people get number seven. Our emotions are not always righteous, just, loving, and appropriate. Please get number eight. The key to our emotions is that they are, number nine, God-honoring. Number ten, with God's help, we can control them. Number 11, our emotions alone should not motivate us, nor be the central focus of our life. God help us as God's people to get that. Number 12, we are responsible to and must be obedient to God no matter how we feel. Number 13, the summary of the Christian life is to love God and love neighbor. Number 14, God is concerned with our hearts. And then number 15, and kind of frame out more of our discussion today about the life of Jesus. Number 15, when our focus is on loving God and loving neighbors, and our heart is right before God, we can deal with our emotions in a God 
honoring way. All right, so those are the 15 things. And so today we're going to look at emotions in the life of Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus' emotions were always God-honoring. His emotions always were expressed in a God-honoring way. Uh, All of his life was lived about the glory of God and the good of others. When we look at this idea of loving God and loving others, this is the model of Jesus' life. This is everything that he did. So today what we're going to look at is, if that's the life of Jesus, that's number 15 on the outline that we've been working with. When our focus is on loving God, loving neighbor, our heart is right before God and we can deal with our emotions in a God-honoring way. How do we see that reflected in the life of Jesus? Well, a couple of things we want to look at. First off today, we want to just take a couple of ideas. And the ideas are this. We are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. And actually, he will conform us conform us to his image. But number two, we'll discover today, um, when we conform to his image through the renewal of our minds. Number three, we'll discover this, that as we're conforming to his image, being renewed through, the, through our minds... We, we will follow his pattern and example for our life. And then we'll look at, lastly, there is no better pattern by which to cultivate godly emotions in our life than the Lord Jesus. Okay? So we're going to look at that. Now, we're not going to be able to cover everything. And, and actually, um, I had to kind of cut this down a little bit. So this will have to be emotions in the life of Jesus, part two. I'm, I tried to shove it in this morning, but I'm going to have to cut some things off unless you all enjoy two-hour sermon. Does anybody enjoy two-hour sermons? I've got one, two, three, four, five. Well, keep the warmers going then. Okay, no. So a couple things. Take your scriptures. We're going to, and you may or may not have time to go through all these texts. I'm going to mention them to you. Um, we have several texts we're going to look at. We're not honed in just one central text. But I want to lay out the first idea to you about if Jesus loved, Jesus had a love for God, which meant love for others, thus his emotions are always righteous, true, holy, and just. Now, the thought that many people would say is, well, it's kind of cheating, Nick, because he was God. He was 100% man, 100% God, but he, he's cheating a little bit. It's, we don't have the same, it's, 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 not a, it's not a one-on-one kind of thing. I, I'm not deity. Yeah, you're right, you're not. But Jesus' life was a model for what a normal living would be. So if you're wondering, am I dysfunctional today? Yes, you are. There is only one truly functional person the Lord Jesus, right? The most functional, normal person is a person who lives a life for the glory of God alone, right? The most normal person in life is one that lives out a life of loving God that leads us to loving others. Jesus is normal. But his life is a pattern clearly in the scripture. Now, the first thing I just want to, when I lay out this idea of Jesus, our ultimate model of emotions, the ultimate model of how emotions are put on display First, I want to point out this idea that we are all called to be conformed to his image. Called to be conformed to his image. If you're going to try to keep up as I give some of these references, go to Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Did you know that you and I, part of our being in Christ, is that it is God's will and his work to conform us to his image. Conforming us to the image is conforming us to the life of Christ. Conforming us to what normal is. Jesus is normal. Colossians 3.10 says, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We see further evidence, Colossians 3.10, that there's this calling on our life to be conformed 
to God's image. Understand, even the difficulties you and I go through every single day and in our life are not haphazard. Everything God is doing is to conform us to his image. And nay, could I say this, that being conformed to his image through his work is the greatest pathway to pleasure in our lives. That means that may involve suffering. We have this thing in our life that we think suffering, like we have to eradicate all suffering, that there never never can be suffering. Now, I'm not telling anybody to go out and try to find suffering, because guess what? It'll find you. It's going to find you. It's going to find you pretty easy. It's like gravity. It's going to find you no matter how much you try to fight against it. But suffering isn't always bad. In fact, we see over and over in scriptures that suffering can be a pathway to glorifying God. Suffering can be a pathway to patience. Suffering can be a pathway to godliness. Don't we have the model in our own Savior who suffered? He actually suffered. He suffered unjustly. We see people sometimes as Christians, we think, it's not fair that I would suffer. There's an aspect that it's not fair, but also I could tell you that no suffering that any of us go through is wasted. It's all a part of him conforming us to his image. Not only that, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. By the way, um, have you ever felt like in life you're taking four steps forward and one step back or two steps back or three step forwards and one step back. You ever feel like it's that sometimes? But here's the thing. If you're taking three steps forward, and you've heard me say this a lot, one step back, and you keep doing that, you're still actually making progress. And that's how being conformed to his image, being conformed to his image is not this instantaneous thing. The text of 2 Corinthians 3.18 says being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. Glorifying God, being conformed to his image, is ultimately, typically, usually a process. It's not instantaneous. Sometimes we get upset with our kids because we don't see instant sanctification in our kids. Now, I know that's none of us parents, right? I know we're patient and we can see the end from the beginning. We get it, I know. But sometimes even as parents, I think we get impatient with where the sanctification of our kids are at this moment in life. And when I say our kids, I'm not talking about just teenage kids. It's like even my kids that are older. Can I get an amen? I mean, you know, that's the one thing about being a parent. You, although your authority as a parent is diminished once they're into adulthood, that doesn't mean that you ever die in your concern, right? But God is in the process. Sometimes as even as parents, we lose track and perspective of this. We, we just want this instant sanctification, not realizing that even the scriptures paint this idea that the being in Christ's image, it's God's work that'll do this. It depends on the renewing of the mind of that person walking in Christ, but also it's a progressive thing from glory to glory. It, it's a growth. Sometimes we lose, fact, lose track of that. We look at our kids' growth and, the, and, and even our own, to be honest with you. We look at it much like the stock market for one day. Okay, Anybody have any stocks? You ever just look at a stock for one day? If you, potentially this past week. right? It probably wasn't very encouraging, was it? But hit the button from one day to five years. And if you've held on to that, if you bought that Tesla stock early and you look at it now, you can see overall the trajectory is progressive sanctification. Or if you bought Bitcoin, right? Well, you're probably a millionaire right now, right? I, don't we all wish we did that? I thought it could never last. But you see the 
growth in the progressive. We are all called to be conformed to God's image. It's God's work. It's our work. And it's a progressive thing. So when we get into this idea of emotions in Jesus, I want you to understand, the life of Jesus is normal life. It's the example life. And God is working things in our life that we would be conformed to that image, right? And that's a place to find beauty and joy and holiness. So now that we know this idea of being conformed to his image, I do want to just quickly point out the idea that part of this conforming to his image, life being all about his glory, it's God's work, but also we have a participation in that. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I just have a couple of texts that we'll look at. Remember, we're kind of going topical here, so we'll be in a lot of different places. We're not honed down just in one text. If you're a guest and you're wondering how often do we do topical sermons, well, let me just tell you, we just finished before this one 12 messages all through the Minor Prophets. I cannot remember how long that took us, but I think we started at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, What's that? Oh, 12 books. I was testing you. You're leading. No, I was lying. You're listening. Man, that's awesome. Twelve. You're, you're kind of thinking, no, it was more than 12 messages. It was, I think it, was, it started, I think it started with the pandemic or shortly after that. Actually, I think we were doing it before the pandemic. It might have brought on the pandemic. I don't know. <laughs> Verse two. Do not be conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. A couple things to point out to you. Unless our minds are being renewed, they're not being transformed. If we're not being transformed, we will not be able to discern God's will. We won't know what's right. But this idea of verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Remember, we discovered a while ago, we're to be transformed to Christ. There's only one of two directions we actually go in life. We're either conforming to the world and its standard and its philosophies, or we're being actually conformed through transforming through the renewed mind to Christ. That's That's the norm of the Christian life. When we look at emotions in Jesus here in a minute, the reason we're building the foundation, because Jesus is what's normal. His emotions are what's normal. How he displays emotions are normal. Renewal of our mind. I'm convinced more and more how vulnerable. is The, the older I get and the more I see my own depravity, I am more vulnerable than, I'm, than I ever... I mean, in my 20s, I don't think I really thought that my mind, that my soul, that was that vulnerable. But, oh, friend, do I know it today. Do I know that these thoughts that happen in my mind... That, and leave me vulnerable, how, and how it can affect how I treat everybody around me, how I respond to my family, how I respond to coworkers. These these thoughts that I have, and and it's this idea that I'm constantly going downhill. It's a constant downhill. It, you have to fight against it every day. That we're not renewing our mind through the Word, through the Spirit, and having godly counsel, brothers and sisters in Christ in our lives that can speak God's truth. We are. Just declining, not inclining, not getting better. That's even why you can think that there could be something in your life, some kind of stronghold that you have victory over, right? You have victory over. And then you wonder, how can I go back to something like that? 
because of the mind is not being consistently renewed through God's word and spirit and the people of God in our lives, we'll just downgrade. We, we are not set to upgrade. We're set to downgrade. I don't believe in evolution, but if somebody wanted to have a conversation about de-evolution, I think I could get on that train, right? We are set to de-evolve. That's us. So we need the renewal of our mind. Our minds have to constantly be renewed. Let me show you another scripture. You're familiar with this, but just to prove my point, Ephesians 4.23. Ephesians 4.23. Now we're just, we haven't even talked about emotions. I just got to lay the foundation. We're going to talk about Jesus' emotions. And we're not going to, we're going to get to really one aspect and then we'll build out others. Anger next week. We'll build out some others. Today we're going to look at one aspect of his emotions. But we've got to learn that we're called to be in his image. And part of being his image, we've got to have the renewed mind. Ephesians 4, it's interesting. Ephesians 4.23 is where I want to look at, but I want you to notice something around Ephesians 4.23. It says in Ephesians 4.22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, it's corrupt through deceitful desires. It says, put off. How do we change in life? We put off the unrighteous thoughts and actions. Then verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. We we renew the mind we through the word through his spirit with with being in community with god's people verse 24 to put on the new self create after the likeness of god in true righteousness and holiness we put on the righteous thoughts and actions this is the process of change but in the middle of the whole process of change verse 22 put off verse 24 put on we have the renewal of the mind this is why sometimes in life we don't really change when we just white-knuckle it only. When it, we just kind of go, well, I was, I'm just using this as an illustration. Well, I was smoking, but now I'm not going to smoke. And a person finds himself going back to it. What has to happen? The mind has to be renewed. Or the person who is unforgiving, wondering, how do I, how do I not go back? I'm just going to forgive, and I'll be done with it. But, you know, you can forgive and pick up that unforgiveness. We understand that, right? You could... People think this thing of when I forgive, it's something I just do in a point in time, and I'll never have to struggle with that again, right? Yeah, we actually will, unless we're renewing our mind. Unless we're starting to look at life from God's perspective. Unless we're replaying the forgiveness we've received in Christ so that we can extend that forgiveness to others. So the mind has to be renewed. So part of this mind renewal is that it will actually help us to be conformed to the image of Christ. God's work, our participation, it's progressive. It's progressive as it goes through life. That's why even in the life of your family, friends, those who you're discipling, celebrate the victories. And celebrate, even if it's small, celebrate obedience. Don't, uh, don't be so critical sometimes when, they, when someone hasn't accomplished perfection, even with your kids. Now, I'm not not telling you to never say anything of gentle admonishment or uh, discipline to your kids or to anybody that you're discipling, but I am telling you, you can celebrate where there's obedience. And even our naturally depraved mind that's not being renewed won't celebrate that. We'll just focus on the negative. And don't we all know this? If you're a parent and you have kids, don't, don't we fight that urge that the first thing we do when we interact with... Uh, I know that's none of us in here, right? I get it. The first thing we do when we see our kid, when they come home from school, I know this is none of us, that our first interaction might be, 
kind of picking apart all the things that went wrong. Instead of first trying to find out, is there anything to praise? Is there anything to acknowledge? Is there anything that that God has actually done and gone forward? So we've got to be conformed. Our minds have to be renewed. So as we conform to his image through the renewal of the mind, we will, we will start to walk in the patterns and the examples of Jesus. His life and his example. His life is what the normal life is. John 13, 15 and John 13, this is where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, right? You remember that? He washed the disciples' feet. And one of the things he said to his disciples washing their feet on his way to the cross, he says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Now, that doesn't mean we have to wash each other's feet, although that probably wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, anybody ever been to a foot washing ceremony? I know that kind of is like, well, that's weird. I, I get it. I get it. Um, I mean, I won't even go get my feet done at like a spa or anything like that. Like not down into handling feet. Don't want people handling my feet. I get it. But I have been a part of something like that. And I can tell you it is really humbling. Um, you know what's really humbling about it? Not the fact of doing someone's feet, but having someone do your feet. I think that's the hum- most humbling thing is having actually someone serving you. Got no problems with serving people. I have a big problem with asking with people serving me or even letting them serve me. But we don't know nothing about that. I get it. So if Jesus' life is a pattern. He shows his disciples a pattern just through washing feet and shows them this pattern of humility and service. That's where true greatness lies. He shows us other patterns. For instance, Jesus is a life that's a suffering life. Jesus suffers unjustly. He's righteous. We're unrighteous. He goes and absorbs the Father's wrath in our place. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, calls this out as an example and pattern in our life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says this, For this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you and... Does anybody know the next word? Example, so that you might follow in his steps. So Jesus' life is an example. How he served in humility his disciples, it's an example. How he suffered, Peter says, that's an example for our life. Just, so, just as a side note, like time out. If anybody's suffering in here today, God could be using that as a part of walking in his image and his example for your life. Friend, God has not forsaken you. You're going to be okay. Is it easy? No. But every bit of suffering is never wasted with God's hand. So it's the example. Time in. Okay? It's the example. It's the example. So all of life is about the example of Jesus. Jesus even says, look at my life. Matthew, we, we read this last week when, um, with Robert. He mentioned this scripture, Matthew eleven twenty nine, where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. Learn of me. That means what is Jesus' life like? Learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we see this in the life of Jesus. We just got to lay this foundation before we talk about one aspect of emotions in Jesus' life. We are called to conform to his image. His image, being conformed to his image is a process through the constant renewal of the mind. Conforming to this image and the renewing of the mind means that we'll follow follow the pattern and examples of Jesus' life. And one example that we're going to look at, we gave you a couple, the suffering, the humility and service. But also we're we're going to look at this one aspect of just some emotion in his life. And particularly, I would say, compassion. 
compassion. The element of compassion. Now, there's no better pattern than to cultivate this godly emotion that Jesus has given us. Now, the thing about Jesus, Jesus wholeheartedly delighted in God. Um, and, and even in the most crucial work of going to the cross, Jesus delighted completely in God. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. I just want you to get your eyeballs on this one. He delighted in the Lord. Even though the cross was terrible and from the cross, one of the six sayings he cries out is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Meaning he was suffering the judgment and wrath of God in our place. He was absorbing our sin, the terrible wrath that our sins deserve from a holy God. But yet, I love what Hebrews 12, 2 tells us. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the, what is the next word? The joy that set before him endured the cross. No one made Jesus go to the cross. He went willingly. It wasn't the Romans that forced him. This was all part of God's plan. And there was joy in it. There was joy in it. Wow. The emotion of joy, even when it's bad and suffering, can be there. Why is that? Because he delighted in the Lord. His whole life was a wholehearted delight in the Lord. That's why I can say in Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus, he's the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our redemption the exaltation of who God is in his plan, the joy that was set before him. B.B. Warfield, a theologian, says this, if our Lord was a man of sorrows, he was more profoundly still a man of joy. He delighted in the Lord. He delighted to do the Father's will. Normal living is wholeheartedly delighting in God, delighting in his plans, delighting in his purposes, delighting in him himself. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus loved God, Thus, he loved others. He's the perfect example of what living should look like. Wholeheartedly, I mean, Jesus' whole life was the epitome of love God, love others. He is the perfect representation of the great commandment. Now, the interesting thing about this is when we read about us in the great commandment, all the way like, for instance, back from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, I'm going to read that verse and you tell me what's missing. You shall love the Lord your God. Okay, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Does that sound wholehearted? I mean, does that sound full and robust? It, it wouldn't be the complete intent of what God means for that verse if it didn't say, with all your. And, it, and it, it's denoting the, the immaterial part, the spiritual part of us. Notice that he, it, it's not as if he just left it with one heart. He says, your soul, with all your might. It's, it's the writers, and God's communicating this idea of the all-encompassing, wholeheartedness, everything you got, pushing it all in. That was the life of Jesus. With everything he had, everything he had loving the Lord. But even when you get over and they're asking Jesus, and they're trying to trip him up, in Matthew 22 and verse 37, Jesus responds and quotes back from Deuteronomy 6, 5, and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, wholehearted, completely pushing in everything. Now, I'm laying all this out because I want to talk about this first issue of emotion with Jesus and compassion. 
like how he showed the emotion of compassion, okay? How he engaged that emotion of compassion. B.B. Warfield says this, the emotion which we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to Jesus' whole life was a mission of mercy is no doubt compassion. Compassion is all over the life of Jesus. Now, it's interesting, when we look at this word compassion, we're going to look at a couple different texts. If you want to go ahead and turn over to one, you can look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. I want to talk about this emotion of compassion. In some of your uh, translations, it might say the word pity. Um, you go to Matthew chapter 20. It might say the word pity. In others, it say the compassion. The Greek word that's used for compassion or pity is used 12 times in the New Testament when we read about it here in a little bit. The name of it, it's a weird name. It's spelunkthani. Spelunkthani, right? And it sounds, it's a weird name. But here's what that name means. It means to feel pity or compassion. But what's interesting about this is the noun form of this. That's the verb form. The noun form of this actually has this idea. It's called spelunkthan. Spelunkton. Does it sound familiar to any internal organ? A spleen? This idea of this idea that's used for compassion for pity has this idea more than just, oh, I just okay, man, you're having a hard day. Just whew, man, bless your soul. It's this idea of emotionally caring for a person to a point that it kind of affects you on the inside. You ever heard someone describe for in our own modern vernacular this idea of I had butterflies in my stomach or I, I had this feeling deep down. It just, it seemed like it was just kind of deep down in your organs, which we all realize our literal organs do not actually decide or do anything. But it's this idea where you can't, you're trying to describe something so wholeheartedly that you think and feel that you just describe it. It's just, it's just there on my heart or it's just there on the inside. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Because it makes completely good sense in my head. So there's this one aspect, this one emotion. And by the way, we're going to look at some others. But this one overwhelming emotion, overarching emotion that we see in Jesus' life. And that if, when a person is conformed to his image, being renewed, walking in the example of Jesus, we'll see humility, we'll see them understand how to suffer righteously, we'll see all that. But when it comes to emotion, I think this idea of compassion sometimes there's a struggle. And, and my proposing to you is this. Jesus wholeheartedly loved the Lord. Because he wholeheartedly loved the Lord, he could love others. And when we're wholeheartedly loving the Lord, this emotion of compassion will push into our world. This emotion of compassion will pull in not only for the physical needs of our world, but the spiritual needs of our world. And it seems like this emotion is missing sometimes in our life or it may be there but it's not there to the full extent that that greek word means that greek word is trying to get more than just something surface it's trying to get down to the wholeheartedness of you remember when the bible describes how we're to love jesus jesus says love me with all your soul with all your mind with all your mind you get it it's kind of this deep down wholeheartedly everything that you got I think sometimes as Christians, the emotion of passion, of compassion, we, we kind of just see compassion as like, man, I just feel sorry for you. Man, bad day. Or man, things going bad. Here's some money. But it's this idea of 
We've been so conformed to his image and renewed in our mind and his example of his life that we will practice compassion the way he practices compassion. And he practiced compassion with this wholehearted love for the Lord, which led him to a wholehearted love for others. This, this, he, could, he could from an inside feel pity and compassion for people. I'll show this to you. Look in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 34. Matthew 20 and verse 34. Actually, we'll read the whole text. Look, we'll start in verse 29. As they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out, cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David, they said. Verse 32, and stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, and now I have an ESV, it says pity. Anybody have an a NASB? What's the word for NASB? Compassion. That word is not a surface word. That's a word that's deep down. That's a wholehearted kind of word, right? That's a get down to the organs, get down to the spleen, right? It's a, it's a, it's a rich, full, and deep. It's an emotion that God's people have the ability to actually do part of being conformed to his image, renewed mind, walking as an example. And look, he's moved with compassion. It says in the text, he had pity on them. He touched their eyes, immediately recovered sight and followed him. So yes, it's a miracle. Yes, this is not stuff that we can do. But nonetheless, we see the Savior showing emotion from a deep level. By the way, so people always think that emotions are all evil. If you're a guest here, go back and listen to the... Like, actually, no, God has emotions. We have emotions. And what's really great about emotions um, is they're a great display of what's actually going on even in our own hearts and lives. It's a great indicator of what we're actually thinking. You ever want to know, where is your heart before the Lord? It, I mean, our hearts are deceptive. Don't get me wrong. But boy, you want to get a really great idea. Let something happen and then see the emotions in the moment of how you display and then you'll probably find out, like, man, something's going on. I, I've had this happen so many times. Walking along, life's just fine. I hear one bit of news. And all of a sudden, I have, man, like something comes up, right? And I'm, I'm instantly kind of tossed about it. Anybody identifying with this? And you're wondering, like, what's going on? Like, why, why am I so passionate about that? And then you start, to kind of, you start to kind of think and kind of go, wait a minute. Well, there's been something I've been thinking about this subject for a while. It, it's possible I'm bitter towards somebody or I'm unforgiving towards somebody. And boy, I just haven't really confronted that yet. And wow, this occasion kind of boils this thing up once again. Let me show you another place, Luke chapter 7, where this same word is used for compassion. It has this idea of deep, deep on the inside, wholehearted. Luke chapter 7, and, and we'll look at 11 through 15. Luke chapter 7, 11 through 15. This is Jesus raising the widow's son. In Luke chapter 7, verse 11, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And he drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Right? Compassion. It's that same word. He had compassion on her. 
and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. He had compassion. Now, how does a man, how does he have compassion at this level? It wasn't surface. It was this deep on the inside kind of thing. Well, because all of Jesus' life was was a life that was lived to the glory of God, to the glory of the Father. If you want to know what God is like, just look at the life of Jesus. Everything, I mean, his whole life was a renewal life. Now, the interesting thing is, this is an example. He's a compassionate. This, this kind of emotion is what comes out of him. But it's not just at physical things. It's also at spiritual things. Go over to Matthew chapter 9. You can see this. Matthew chapter 9. By the way, this was the text that actually resulted in me surrendering uh, to the ministry. This is what the Lord used to grip my soul. I can remember as a 16-year-old boy contemplating as God calling me into the preaching ministry into the pastoral ministry. It was this text that actually grabbed my soul. It says in verse 35 of Matthew 9, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Same word that we've been looking at for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now understand, this is not just looking at their physical affliction, but the spiritual as well. Look what he says in verse 7. We see the result of it. He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. His compassion was not just only for the no-tolerance policy of the kingdom of heaven. That's why he's healing people. He's giving display of, of what the kingdom looks like, that there'll be no tolerance for sin and sickness and disease and famine and glory. But also, he cares about the spiritual state. He sees, a, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And yet that same word, compassion. Even for us, I wonder sometimes, what, what keeps a church from having the baptistry stirred more? What keeps the church from reaching to his neighbors? What keeps Christians? Sometimes I wonder, is it the emotion of compassion that's not fully being developed in our life? Now, my, my proposal to you is not this idea of like, well, I'm just going to go over here and gin it up, and I'm just going to make myself really feel it for people. It's this idea of this is the natural way that emotion of compassion happens as we grow in our love for God wholeheartedly, loving the Lord with everything we have, The natural outflow is a love for others. So really even this idea of, man, I'm I'm not really burdened about people dying and going to hell. Man, I need to, but I mean, I just can't gin that up. Man, I just can't push, push that and pull that together. Well, that actually might reflect more of, is there a wholehearted love for the Lord? Like that's actually, that's what actually can spur and inspire this to go further. Even I love this today. Look in Hebrews chapter 4. You know, even today, Jesus is very sympathetic to us. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Love this text. If you're, if you're down today, know this. You have, although the Greek word here used is not the word for compassion, you do see that we have a sympathetic Savior, not only in his life, but even still today. 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 It says in verse 11, Let us strive, this is Hebrews 4, to enter that rest 
that no man may fall short of disobedience. Look in, actually, wait a minute. I started way too early in text. Go down to verse 14. I guess we could have read some extra scripture. Are you okay with reading extra scripture? Yeah, I know you are. Verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to do what? Sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive grace, grace and help, grace and mercy. Sorry, I always want to call grace, gracie for some reason. I don't know why. Let's put an extra E on that so I can be helped. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Even today, at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is still interceding, sympathizing with us. Even today, Jesus experiences emotion. Even today at the right hand of the throne of God. Even the life he lived and what he experienced, which just to tell you on the side, there is nothing any of us in this room are experiencing that is worse and more severe than what came against Jesus. Right? Just understand that. If you want to have more conversation about that, we'll do it. It's going to take a while, but there's nothing. And there, here is the right hand of the throne of God sympathizing with us still today. Very emotional kind of words. Just two more texts and, we'll, and we'll, then we'll wrap up the message. Y'all okay? Y'all doing okay? Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. God has so called us to live this same kind of compassionate life. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. It tells us part of the walk in his image. Part of the renewing process. When you look in Colossians chapter 3, if you were to look up in uh, all through the text, you see in chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, this idea of renew, mind renewal. Then you see this idea in verse 5 through 11, this putting off. And then you get to verse 12, this putting on all these things that Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 talk about. And then he says this in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. My ESV says compassionate hearts. You see this idea of compassionate hearts? Which indeed you were compassionate hearts. Kindness. So even today we are to have this emotion of compassion. It's all over us. It's not only for the physical things but the spiritual things. And it's to be a, it's, it's, it's at a deep, it's at like an inward level. But my proposal to you is this. You, we'll never, you never get there. We'll never get there if we're not able, if we're not loving the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our might, wholeheartedly. And the natural byproduct of that is compassion, the way Jesus showed compassion. Now I'll end with this. Look in Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Do you feel like you have spiritual carpal tunnel this morning? Just flipping pages or dialing on your phone, whichever, whichever way works. You may be faster if you have a phone going to your different texts this morning, but I guarantee you, in my Bible, it smells so much better. Just love the smell of a Bible. Does anybody love the smell of a Bible? I just love the smell. I don't think I could ever give it up, just the, just the smell of it. Is that, is that weird? I just love the smell of the pages of a Bible. 
Verse 25. I'm sorry, verse 27. Just hang with me, and you're going to get this, okay? I'm going to tether what I'm about to read, and in the back of your mind have Romans 5.8, and then we'll be done, okay? Romans 5.8. Does anybody know Romans 5.8? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Okay. I'm not done with the message yet. It's like the it's like lights are out. <laughs> God does that. That wasn't even a button. That was just God just <laughs> Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good those to those who hate you, bless those that curse you, pray for those who abuse you. The one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Tall order. This is a love your enemies kind of thing, right? If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Like, if you love people who do good to you, like, what, what, how, how big of a deal is that? But, verse 33, but if you do good to those who do you good, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Verse 34, but if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind, and He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Tall order, isn't it? Even to your enemies. Just so you understand, pray for someone, bless them, love your enemies. These are all emotional things. These are emotionally compassionate things. Don't don't miss this. These are emotionally compassionate things. To love your enemy, right? To pray for your enemy. We get it, right? That's a emotionally charged. That's a hard thing to do. What could motivate us to do such a thing? The last verse. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So what helps you to do that? Anybody remember Romans 5.8? But while we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. What motivates this compassion towards others? What motivates compassion even to enemies? It's the gospel. So here's the thing. Even the enemies in our life, we can practice the emotion of compassion appropriately because all we're trying to do is the same way we have been loved while being an enemy of God God didn't wait for us to get all cleaned up before he loved us. He loved us while we were wanting our elbow room and throwing really good elbows at God. We can love others the same way. That means the compassion in our life is not just for our families. It's also for those who are the enemies of God. It's for those that are your enemies, whether they're at work, whether they're on your street, whether they live underneath your same roof, no matter what their ages are or whether you're still trying to disciple them. 
It, wherever that would exist, compassion still exists. That was the heart of the Savior. The people he's going to, you remember, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How could Jesus practice such radical compassion? Because there is a radical character that belongs to God and God alone. So here's the thing that I'm pretty, pretty, I guess, persuaded of. Our ability to show compassion, even to those who are our enemies, is predicated on do we value that as I have been forgiven by Christ, I can forgive others. And friends, when that happens, we are in his image, being renewed in the spirit of our mind according to the scriptures. We are walking in, our, in his example, and there is great joy and glory. How can Jesus, for the joy set before him, go to the cross, endure this cross, despising the shame? How can he do all that? Because it was, it was all about this wholehearted love for the Lord, so he could do it. That's how you and I can do this. We, the emotion of compassion is to permeate our lives, to permeate the sharing of the gospel, to permeate the sharing of those who are in need. It's to even care and pray for those who are our enemies. Would you stand to your feet and let's pray over this. Have a time of singing to the Lord. We sure need your help. I think we all just recognize we got lots of data flowing past us each day. We got emails and texts and replies, all sorts of things. And we're crowded out sometimes with, 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 not, with not being compassionate. Would you shake us back out of this lethargy by back to the whole purpose of this life? Conforming, renewing, walking in your example. Building us as a people this idea of compassion deep from a wholehearted love for the Lord. Help us for your glory. And God's people said, Amen.